Today's readings are Luke 24, 44 to 53, and Psalm 47. They can be found on pages 975 and 524 of the Bible's next year's seats, as well as on the screen. <clears throat> this is God's word, Luke 24, 44 to 53. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of the trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, as we um, come into this place and we um, sit and there's some quiet and stillness in our life, perhaps that's rare. And as we, um, as we do that, and as we have a space to meditate and reflect on our life and on you, we come with different expectations and experiences. And we come with different needs before you. And whether we think, whether we are absolutely convinced we should come to you with our needs, or whether we are, are sort of do it uh, with a lot of doubt <laughs> or begrudgingly, or whether we're just, we're not yet there bringing our needs to you at all. Whatever place we come from, um, we are looking for you to show yourself and to show yourself to us in a way that, that um, gives credibility to us leaning into you a little bit, giving our needs to you and resting in you. And the truth is, as we come with different needs, we're all similar in that we're not perfect. And so we all have needs. We all are broken. We're all a mess. And, uh, 
we're more of a mess than we want the people around us to know. We're pretty good at hiding things. Nothing is hidden from you as much as we might try, and the Bible says that you see all of that that we might try to hide, and yet you approach us with grace. Unbelievable that that is, that is what we are here to celebrate, that we're here to learn more about, or we're here to remind ourselves of. You approach broken, sinful, failed lives, imperfect, fragmented beings, and you bring love. You bring a redeeming, reconciling, renewing kind of healing touch, willingly, and you overlook the ways that we even run away from you with our middle finger in the air at you sometimes. And you still, you still are chasing after us with grace. God, chase after us now through whatever... Uh, comes out of these words uh, from my mouth and from your scriptures today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the world uh, makes a really good argument to us that, that it's being mismanaged and mishandled. You ever feel like the world is, is just kind of has that feeling like it's, it's mismanaged? Maybe uh, you see stuff going on in certain political parties and primaries and you, and, and you wonder how mismanaged and mishandled things are going to get. Sometimes we see things going on on the international stage, and, you know, news headlines. Sometimes we, you, know, you just see things, even just take it in the closer realm, you see things in your own family or in your own place of employment, consistent mismanagement and mishandling of, of just the things in life. And you go, really? Um, our world makes a good case to us regularly that there's, um, that there's no one at the helm, in a sense. And then we have... Um, Existing in the same world, we have um, people, we have Christians who get together and they sing. They get together and they sing about things. And I think even some of our songs today, you know, we're singing together. Who, who gets together and sings? Who does that anymore? So you have, we do it, I know. Um, and we get together and we sing and we sing songs often that are about a king who is in charge, you know, who's, who's reigning. Um, and then if you pay close attention to these Christians, these people like this, they, they also, if you pay close attention, part of their story is their leader is MIA. <laughs> their, leader's no, their leader apparently, his last act was to, to leave to disappear. It was a disappearing act. Um, so you got these people talking about this one in charge who's not even around, and they're singing about it. And they're singing songs like, um, I heard when I was growing up, one song that you just say over and over again, Our God Reigns. And you're just saying that over and over again. This is what Christians do. It seems like a problem, doesn't it? And so we need to look at something in order to figure this problem out. We're going to look at the ascension. We're going to look at the ascension. 
And we're going to be drawn, our attention are going to be drawn to the um, last few verses of the Gospel of Luke and to this old psalm called Psalm 47. And our eyes are going to be drawn towards a, a current holiday. You guys have a holiday on your minds today? Today's Mother's Day. That's a holiday on everyone's mind. The, this week was filled with holidays. A few of you were walking around, I think, was it on Wednesday, and you were saying, may the fourth be with you. Um, anyone? Anyone? How'd that go? How'd that go for you? How'd that work for you? And then the next day, you either were one of those people, and so the next day you said, it's Revenge of the Fifth. Um, right? Or, or you said, it's Cinco de Mayo. Right? Cinco de Mayo. So all these holidays, all these holidays. And I found out, I researched Cinco de Mayo. I found out in Germany, that's a public holiday. Um, or actually, it's not, because it was Ascension Day. And Ascension Day in, in Germany is a public holiday. Um, yeah, Thursday was Ascension Day. Um, and I, so maybe you were this week, or was anybody in the store at the Hallmark Cards, and you were looking for a Mother's Day card, Maybe. Um, did you spend some time looking to see if there was an Ascension Day section? Because there's not. And, and not, not very many people knew it was Ascension Day, right? Except for my kids, um, the pastor's kids. And, um, and so I think it's true, um, get ready for this, I think it's true that we have Ascension Deficit Disorder. I know, that was really bad, that was really bad, so now I've got an uphill climb. ADD, that's right. Christians uh, look at Jesus' ascension and it actually it helps us understand some things. So let's look at the ascension in terms of the fact of the ascension, and let's look at the result of the ascension. The fact of the ascension and the result of the ascension. First of all, the fact. The fact of the ascension, and this is actually surprising because we say the ascension is Jesus disappeared. He's no longer present. The fact, the real fact of the ascension in terms of Christians, in terms of the Bible, in terms of the history of the Christian faith, in terms of why I can imagine that a country would say this is a public holiday, is that the ascension actually says Jesus is now more present than ever. So you look at Luke 24, and, it, and we were just reading this, Karen was reading it, and, um, and it ends with saying, when he had led them out into the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And then Psalm 47 says, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amidst the sounding of trumpets. The Apostles' Creed summarizes the main core things we believe about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the God the Son part, the Jesus part, says that on the third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, Psalm 47, what we just read, tells, gives us a little background on why, why would we put this into our core beliefs? Why would we, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, you already get it there with seated at the right hand of the Father, that it's actually about being, rising up to a throne. So this is a kingly thing. This isn't, this isn't 
we think of it just he's leaving. This is a crowning, sitting on the throne at the, at the, in the most powerful place. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. This is about a king over all the earth. And when the king gets on the throne, the king's power and the king's presence in the kingdom is stronger than ever. So this is more of an arrival of a kingdom than it is a departure of a person in terms of how Christians have looked at the ascension. This is not, oh, Jesus now returns to a faraway place from which he came. This is, in, in the Christian story, this is a climactic finish. You know, he's not distant, he's now present. He's not aloof, he's reigning. He's not in the sky, he's actually on the ground everywhere. And so people have written different things to help us understand this and to help illuminate this. Um, one of them is John Calvin, the, the old Reformed theologian, biblical expert, said that um, he wrote that when we say that this is when we when we say this about he ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, what we're saying is that Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth and solemnly entered into possession of the government committed to him, and that he not only entered into possession once for all, but continues in it until he shall come down on judgment day. The sense that Jesus is possessing full government of all things. So see, it seems at first like this is just one more goodbye story, right? This is, this is a goodbye story. This is... A, his disciples saying goodbye, and Jesus is gone, and now they'll have to make do without him, and it's nothing of the sort. It's nothing of the sort. We're inclined to imagine it that way. The beginning of the book of Acts, the story is told again, and it's told just with a couple other details, and, and one of them is that it, it basically pictures the, the apostles, these close followers of Jesus, like with their mouths open looking up into the sky, and then someone over here tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey, cut it out. Move on. It's not what you think it is. And the, you know, these angels that show up and tell them, um, no, this is part of the plan. This is part of the deal. He's not gone. He's not like absent. Now move on and do your work. Another, another uh, interesting vignette is at the end of John. We read this a couple of, um, a few weeks back. I think we read this on Easter. But it's the interaction with Jesus and Mary around the empty tomb where she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he said, this is really interesting, he said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Um, this is ascension, is, you know, do not hold on to me. This is, not, this is not that kind of goodbye where you get a last hug in and then I'm gone. For, could we know goodbyes as sad, but there's no sadness, there's no lamenting, there's no absence. There's not like a theology of absence in the early church. None of the writings of the early Christians, of the apostles, of anybody, never do they say like exactly like you would think they would say, if only we still had him around. You know, it's just so sad that he had to go because so much more could have happened. That's what you would expect if this was a normal goodbye. And it wasn't. It wasn't a normal goodbye. You know, what if he was still around? Well, oh, can you imagine if he was still around? Around. Nobody ever said that in the early Christian church. 
because he was still around. In fact, he was more present than he had ever been upon his ascension because ascension meant something else. Ascension wasn't a goodbye. It was a, an enthronement of a king whose kingdom now was more at work and his authority was more at work than ever before. Um, one of the, I love where that leads in terms of our activity. One of, the, one of the quotes I wanted to share was from Alistair McGrath, who says this, in the Acts of the Apostles, the, you know, the book that comes after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us that the disciples left the mountain of the Ascension and plunged themselves headlong into the needs of the world for which Christ died. They preached and healed. They proclaimed the good news to all by word and deed. Faith in the ascension does not mean any diminished interest in the world. It means a renewed commitment to that world and new resources with which to meet its needs and care. And cares. Um, what the ascension really does, it's interesting how the Apostles' Creed says, says you know, um, it kind of ties together Easter and the ascension. It's he rose and then he ascended right after each other. And in the, in the Christian calendar, next week will be Pentecost Sunday, which is the, the next event in that trifecta. You know, or it's four things, really. He died, and then he rose, and then he ascended, and then, he, and then the Holy Spirit came. And Ascension finds itself right in the middle of those things, looking back at, this, at Easter, saying, new life, renewal, all things new. That's where everything's going with this Jesus one. And then you have Ascension, you have... Now he's on the throne, and then you have the Holy Spirit arrives. So the concept of the enthronement of Jesus on Ascension Day brings together both Easter stuff of newness and the Holy Spirit coming as the power to bring about that newness. So we stand today with Ascension right in the middle of all of that. Another incredible, um, another incredible quote is by um, J.I. Packer, who says, and this one's in your worship guide, um, talking about what this does if you live within this. He says, in a weary world... Or no, let me start here. So the message of the Ascension story is Jesus, the Savior, reigns. In a weary world in which grave philosophers were counseling suicide as man's best option, the unshakable, rollicking optimism of the first Christians who went on feeling on top of the world, however much the world seemed to be on top of them, made a vast impression. It still does, he says, when Christians are Christian enough to show it. Um, you know, in a way, you could, you know, I'm not intending that quote to beat us up, you know, like if, if only you were Christian enough. But, but the sense that, like, he's, he's pointing to something very real there, that um, if you live into this, wow, what a different kind of way of living amidst a broken world um, if you live into what the ascension actually means. So there's the fact of the ascension. Jesus is more present than we ever imagined. But there's also the result of it. And the result is that you and I are more confident, have a more confident outlook than we ever imagined. The fact is that Jesus is more present than we imagined. The, the result is that we can have a, more of a confident, really a confident joy than we ever imagined. When you look at these stories... When you look at um, Luke 24 and how it tells the story of Jesus ascending, and you look at the other passage that our, our church lectionary calendar had the wisdom to put these two readings together. So you've got Psalm 47 and Luke 24. Both of them have that word in there, ascended. 
Jesus ascended, and in Psalm 47, uh, God has ascended amidst shouts of joy. Both of them have that last word in it as well, joy. Ascension and joy are linked in both texts. What we find is that instead of crying and wondering where Jesus went, in Luke 24, the second to last verse of the whole Gospel of Luke says, Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It was a departure, and that's how you really know it wasn't a goodbye, because how could you be joyful if it was really a goodbye? The result is that you have a confident, joyful outlook as you move forward in life, if you believe in the ascension. And really, let's look at that in, let's look at that in two ways, because there's, there's some of you, I know, everybody's different, and there's some of you might lean more towards saying, like, um, you know, I really want this good news of Jesus. I want this stuff to, to really get into, into our personal lives, and and I want it to, to ring true, and I want it to start doing some of that healing work in my broken heart, or in my sad heart, or in my frustrated heart, or in my angry heart. And others of you, um, you're looking out there around the world around you, and you're saying, you know, there's racism, there's injustice, there's poverty, and um, there's human trafficking, and there's all these other things. You know, some, some of you are pulling the others and say, like, you know, Enough focus of Jesus in your heart. Let's get over here and let's get this out. Let's do some things about out here in the world. And so, in many ways, the ascension uh, deals with both and gives you a result in both realms. First of all, the personal, the individual. Um, and then we'll deal with the sort of the cosmic, the world. The individual, Christians get used to saying things that other people don't say, and it happened really early on. It started at the beginning. We, people in Christian churches are comfortable often saying, Jesus is Lord, or even just talking about God as my Lord or Lord. I imagine if you come into a, a Christian community, you're visiting or whatever, and you haven't been around that ever, that, that would sound a little strange to just immediately start talking about God as Lord. But there's a reason behind it. There's an ascension reason behind it. Um, church songs. Have you noticed this in church songs that talk about this? I referred to one, Our God Reigns, but there's all these other things. There's ways in which Christians have incorporated a sense of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lordship. And have become comfortable talking about it, sometimes without even realizing how huge of a thing it is There are songs that sing, as long as we're talking about different kinds of songs, there's this song, I give you my all. There's songs like that where you'll say these things, I give you my all. Really? You know, do you ever have that thought? Like, really? You ever, you know, maybe, maybe you haven't, but, you know, some people maybe just have been singing that song for decades or songs like that. And, oh, yeah, I give you my all, I give you my all. Or maybe you say, I I don't know, can I, can I, what? Really? All? All What? What does that mean? All my, what, finances? <laughs> right? Uh, uh, career choices? Uh, where I live? What neighborhood I live in? Um, who I befriend? Who I help? How I spend, what, my time? Do I give you my all? You know, some of you, next time a song like that comes up, you're going to be like, mm. <laughs> I, I, you know, Mark said that's what that all means, so I'm not singing it. I mean, really. I, one time I was praying with somebody who, um, who was um, kind of in one of these places where alcoholism had been sort of taken over um, and making this, this gentleman, his name was John, and making John lose a lot of things in his life. And he was at one of those points where it was just like, what do I do now? And, um, and he wasn't a Christian, and so it was this idea of, you know, do you want to kind of pray and, and let God into this? And so I started walking him through a prayer, 
And um, it, was, it was a prayer that sort of was saying, let God into this, and let's see if God can help you. And that seemed really cool to me that he was willing to pray a prayer like that. And one of the things I prayed, and not even, really, not even thinking, I was a lot younger then, was pretty fresh out of seminary, around a lot of church people who say a lot of church things. And I had said this phrase like, um, something like, um, um, I, don't, I, I think, did I write it down here? Something like, because I don't want to say it wrong, it was something like, I give everything over to your authority. You know, something like that. I give, you know, I just give my whole life over to you right now, God. And, and the man, and this John fellow, he was said, oh, whoa. <laughs> and I, you know, I just kind of thought he would repeat that the same way he, the same way he repeated, you know, when I said, like, God, we know you, you love us, or something like that. And, you know, yeah, God, we know you love us. And okay, we give over everything in my life over to your authority. And I, what? Whoa? <laughs> and, and sometimes I think church people get used to saying some things like that, but do we stop and do we say, um, what do I mean by that? That's the lordship of Jesus Christ. And actually, actually, yeah, that's the direction that things go. What I could say to John is, yeah, that's pretty crazy that we say that, but... But let me explain more about how, how that's actually possible and how that's actually an amazing thing. Um, again, I don't know if I can quote John Calvin twice in one sermon. I don't know if you'll allow me, but um, another thing he says about this on a personal level, when we talk about the ascension and the lordship of God coming into our life on a personal level, he says, Jesus Christ now, now catch this, Jesus Christ now fills with grace and kindness the throne that for miserable sinners would otherwise have been filled with dread. Isn't that amazing? That's what a Christian comes to know. That Jesus Christ now fills with grace and kindness the throne for miserable sinners that otherwise would have been filled with dread. Now if you know that, the lordship of Jesus Christ starts to, you start to say, oh, I can see, I see now how you could end up with, with groups of people coming together and saying, I give you my all, <laughs> right? And, re- and really, in a sense, it's, it's the most ideal thing for all of our hearts. The one who offers to handle all of your stuff, and I know we all come in here on a Sunday morning with a lot of stuff that we're handling. The one that offers to handle all that stuff is the one who is handled your sin with the most absolute, most gentle grace and mercy that you ever could have imagined. And that's how he comes to you. How do you imagine he's going to deal with those other parts of your life now? You know, your money, your sex, your gossip, your anger. Well, now you know the ways of this Lord. You know the gentle, merciful, caring approach of the one who ministers to your soul with mercy. So the result of the ascension personally is that we have a, and sometimes we sing about this too, we have a throne of grace, a throne of grace and mercy. And what a relief, really, finally, to have a place to yield and submit and entrust our stuff to the one who can graciously handle it. I wonder if as I say those kinds of things, on the one hand, that's scary, right? Yield, submit, trust. But on the other hand, is there, is there something in your life this morning that, that needs better handling than what it's getting? There probably is for all of us. And so there's an ascended Lord who deals with you merciful, mercifully. I suggest you go there. And then we, we talked about, I talked about how the result of the ascension also has a cosmic effect. 
it has an effect of us looking around at the world, a world around us with new eyes, with new eyes of a king who has now been enthroned. Um, the battles have been fought, the victory won. There is a renewal um, at work. And you now have the chance to have eyes for that, to have the vision for that, to see this world in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise seen it. One of the places in Scripture where it talks about this is uh, in the book of Colossians, an, another New Testament book where, um, where it basically says, live like citizens of heaven. Um, and that's not escapism. It says, let's see, if, uh, Colossians... Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't... I didn't flag it. I'm usually pretty good about flagging the things I'm going to talk about. In Colossians, you can trust me. No, 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 in Philippians, that's why. <laughs> Philippians, there. Whatever happens, uh, Bible brain glitch there. Um, whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live uh, live lives in a manner worthy. So there's a sense in which, um, you know, and, and the word the gospel means good news, but it also is in a sense of the good news of a new king has been enthroned. That's kind of where the associations come with gospel. Um, live as citizens of that, of that dimension. So when Jesus, we say he ascended into heaven, it's not he ascended to some faraway distant place. Um, we already discussed that in terms of sadness or goodbye. But heaven also sometimes trips us up. But the sense of heaven is just where God is. And God is now, um, and Jesus is now, uh, you know, with God. In a, it's more of a dimension than a spatial reality. Um, I like that we have that word dimension because it's mysterious enough and to do justice to the fact that it's here and yet we don't see it. It's subversive and yet we're given some sense eyes to see it through Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit. Um, live as citizens of heaven in a way that's worthy of the gospel. So we, we, we live with these eyes that the good news is there's a king on the throne and things are, the renewal program has begun. We have eyes for this. And it's a, that's a switch. That's a big switch. And yet it's an important one because then you go out with hope and you go out with justice and you go out to do the things of the king who made the world and knows how it should work and knows that all these things that you see that disturb you um, God's got it handled, but he's also got you to go out and help handle it. And he'll lead you, so don't worry. But you've got to have eyes for it. And I think I, um, one of the best ways to, one of the best um, pictures of this, and then we'll, I'll close. Um, and you may have heard me talk about this before because it's such a powerful picture of this. C.S. Lewis, when he's writing the Chronicles of Narnia, in the, in the last book called The Last Battle, um, you know, the battle has been fought, and at the very tail end of that book, the, um, the main characters are in the new place. I think they're in, in Narnia, they're in, like, they've arrived, and it's, in, it's this new world where everything is, is right and good, and they can finally laugh out loud again, they can finally, and they're all standing there, and they, and they see this fruit on these trees, and they can't imagine how good the fruit looks. You know, their eyes are open to where they are, and they all grab a piece of fruit, and, um, and one of them says um, something like, they're like, can we eat it? And somebody says, we're in a place, I believe, where, um, where everything is allowed. 
You know, that is the, and, and so they all eat this food and it's, everyone has a different piece of fruit that looks amazing to them and they're eating it. And so they're just in awe of, um, of where they are and they have eyes to see it. But then there's this group of, of angry, kind of self-absorbed dwarves. This, char- this group of dwarves, I don't know if anybody remembers this from the book, but this group of dwarves is hilarious. And this is C.S. Lewis being very clever as a Christian, but also as a fictional writer. And he picture, and he's got these dwarves, and they're in that same place. The sun is shining bright, but the dwarves are all huddled up because in how this book is written, they, they entered through this door of what looked like a stable, a dark stable. And so they think that they're still in the stable. And so they're squinting their eyes, and they're saying, it's so dark in here, we can't see anything, let's huddle up. And they're all huddled up in a circle still, only it's sunny out. And... And, and these people are saying, all oh, these poor dwarves, let's help them, let's help them see. And so um, one of them says, can't you, can't you see w- where we are? Can't you see the sun shining? And, and, and the person says, what are you, crazy? I can't see any better than you can. And she says, here, and she grabs a, uh, some flowers. And she says, here, and she puts them in, his, in one of the dwarves' faces. And he says, hey, cut that out. Stop putting that, the stable grass in my, that donkey f- feed in my, in my nose. I felt a thistle in there. And, you know, and everything they try to do doesn't work. And finally, Aslan comes along, the king, the lion. Aslan comes along and they say, Aslan, would you do something for them? You know, so that maybe they can have vision, they can see where they are. And Aslan um, uh, shakes his mane and a big feast appears before them. He says, he says, I'll show you what I can do for them and what I can't do for them. And he does this and he makes a feast. And they've got goblets of wine in their hand and an amazing feast in front of them. And they're convinced that it's stable food and water from the trough. And they still are acting like they can't see. And then they end up fighting over the food because they're convinced someone else. And they're grumbling about how terrible this stable food is. And that ends up in a terrible mess. Food everywhere, black eyes, bloody noses. And Aslan kind of says, see, I, that's, I did what I could. Vision. I'm bringing that up just to say, isn't that a picture of vision? Because because we start out by saying, does it, this world makes an argument that, it is, that there is no one at the helm. Ascension gives you vision. Ascension wakes you up. There's a king on the throne. There's a delightful world to be had. <laughs> but there's also many who are huddled up and convinced that it's still just darkness and it's going nowhere. And that's part of our role too. God, would you please open their eyes? God, would you do something? Let us pray. Our gracious God, um, we don't go in any way condescendingly into the world imagining that we um, help others see or that we are going to correct all the wrongs, but we go nonetheless with hope because you have at, le- at the very least, many of us say at the very least you have shown yourself to be our Lord in such a gracious, loving way that we have begun to lay over parts of our lives that we never thought we would let you into. And so at least we start there and we say, you have been so tender, you have been so gracious, you have been so forgiving and given us what we need. And now we go forth, imagining how you might also mercifully repair this very broken world around us, even using us. We pray that you help us and that you help those around us that we wish could see, um, could see you, could see hope, could see forgiveness, could see mercy. We wish so many, so many of us have people in our lives, we wish you could see or we're, we're sitting here this morning, we feel like we don't see, and we wish you would give us eyes. Lord, please do that work. Do what you can to open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. <clears throat>